Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where Gabriel and I revisit 1980 and learn about pop culture and what happened. Sometimes we have guests, and sometimes uh, those guests have to go to work last minute, unfortunately. Awful. The year, 1988. Margaret Thatcher becomes the longest-serving British Prime Minister of the 20th century. President Ronald Reagan signed a bill that banned smoking on all domestic flights that had a duration of two hours or less. Pubs in the UK were allowed to stay open for 12 hours a day, except on Sundays. Time Magazine's Person of the Year was the Endangered Earth. And a new drug, crack, appears and is increasingly found in U.S. cities. Busy year. Busy year. Also, interesting about the domestic flights, under two hours. <laughs> that That's a very, very interesting distinction of like, look, if you're going to be on a plane for five hours, you're going to need a smoke. But anything under two, uh, we're going to need you to hold it, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine at those conversations? I mean, maybe people were a little bit better about obeying the rules, but like, it's hard enough nowadays. Like, they got to put all those signs about don't vape in the bathroom or it's a federal crime on a plane. But that's that's that I, I found that to be an interesting distinction, though, of like not not just like we're banning them on planes. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you know, let's all be reasonable. Yeah, here. How are you going to decide? Like, what was the what was the research that led to like, it, the know, two hour rule? You know, it was like it was like the middle, right? California to Texas, <laughs> New York to Texas, uh, you know, like Miami to Texas. Everything after past Texas, it's going to be it's we're going to need we're going to let you smoke on that one. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about births. Um, Aquafina, actress, comedian, writer, producer, and rapper. I I saw her on a documentary about Asian rappers, and then she started acting, and then I've never heard her rapping again. She was she's <laughs> very funny. She's she has a really great like like Crazy Rich Asians. She was great in that. Right. You, you know she was in um in Shang Tsu, no Shang Chi. Yeah, the legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah, she was in Shang Chi, yep. um, and then I think she she was oh she was in Renfield. I saw her in Renfield recently. The the Nicolas Cage movie. Speaking of which, there's a new Nicolas Cage movie where it looks like he goes full Nicolas Cage. Have you heard of this one? Uh, I I don't know. Hang I haven't on, heard on. of anything new, so I guess not. Okay, it is called. <laughs> and I might need you to look it up because I need a I need a reaction from you on this. Sympathy for the devil. Sympathy for the devil. Yes, thank you. Look that up for me, Gabe. I want a first. Uh, I want a reaction from you watching that trailer because there are scenes where I'm all like, "Oh, this is the Nicolas Cage that everybody warned us about." The Nicolas Cage we haven't seen in a few movies because he's been doing different work. And who uses a revolver these days? That's a choice. I, I don't know what's going on except Nicolas Cage, so that definitely comes through. That that scene at the end, uh, where he's at the uh, they're at the diner and he's yelling at people. I was like, oh wow, that's a uh, that's Nicolas Cage. 
Yeah, stories like that stress me out because I'm just like, I think I would just crash the car at that point. Like, I <laughs> but think he's I'm got a family. Enough human. I think I'm a vindictive enough human. Yeah, but the guy's threatening your family, right? Like, well, it's the whole like, it's the whole like yeah. when the bad guy tells you to drop your gun, and there's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I got to do it. It's like, no, like it's not going to get better when you do that. Like at that point, you know, you got to take your chances. I think. Interesting, but. But that stresses me out. That's my thought process. My thought process is there's gonna be a way where I'm gonna get, uh, I'm gonna get up on this guy and I will exact my revenge on him. I have that mentality of like I just have to wait for the right moment and then I will murder this person and and everything will be solved. That's my mentality. Mine is just go boom. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Speaking of super bad, uh, Emma Stone and super bad from the previous episode, everybody. Emma Stone, American actress, is born in 1988. Uh, again, super bad. I remember her as the Gwen Stacy from the Spider-Man reboots. Uh, in the Help, also, um, and then uh, you know the uh, the La La Land movie. She was great in that too. Then we have uh, Zoe Kravitz, American actress, best known for Catwoman in the Batman movie. Um, and this is something I didn't know. She voiced Catwoman in the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> so she had prior experience. Apparently, yeah. And then we have uh, Vanessa Hudgens, actress and singer. I know of her because of the, you know, I don't think you could you could escape, um, what are they called? <laughs> like, I'm like, what are they called? The High School Musical movies? You know, uh, even if you didn't watch them, you you were aware they existed. They were enormous. Yep. So I never watched them, but I, I was aware of her, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, born in 88. Moving on to deaths. We have uh, we have some good ones. Um, we have uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, the uh, American artist. He uh, he was famous mainly in the 80s for his um, neo expression expressionism. Right. I want to say it's, mm -hmm. it's what the, it's what that was called. So he he got famous through graffiti work with another artist in the in the early '80s, and um, then his paintings started uh, being exhibited um, internationally. At, at 21, dude, at 21, he became the youngest artist to take part in um, Documenta in Germany. And at 22, he was one of the youngest to exhibit at the Whitney. Uh, Biennial in New York. Basquiat's art focused on the dichotomy such as wealth versus poverty, integration versus segregation, and inner versus outer experience. He, appro uh, he appropriated poetry, drawing, and painting, and, and married text and image. In the mid-80s, Basquiat was learn earning $1.4 million a, a year, and he was receiving lump sums of 40000 from art dealers. I was gonna say that feels like that goes against the whole like artists aren't appreciated till after they're oh no he he, dead. <laughs> he was appreciated this guy, but this he guy was fucked the trend but he was also hooked up with uh, I think in the mid eighties he hooked up with like uh, with um, Andy Warhol too so oh okay so he had an in yeah but right. this but despite his success his emotional instability continued to haunt him the more money any good artist the more money he made the more paranoid and deeply involved with drugs he became. His cocaine use became so excessive that he blew a, a hole in his nasal septum. 
In and then by uh by the late eighties he had moved on to uh heroin. So despite that attempt at sobriety, he died at the age of twenty seven of a heroin overdose in his home in uh, Manhattan. Part of the twenty seven club there. I'm familiar with his work. Uh you know, like that little crown thing um that he did. Uh I don't know art, so I just know things that I like and things that I don't. I know artists, like I, I certain people I just don't get. Um, his stuff, again, I could appreciate, but not something I would ever go out of my way to like, you know, go to see. And then there was a great movie about him, too, in the in the 90s where they they covered some of his life. But um, yeah, you know, um, just a, a great artist. And then we have uh, Andy Gibb. Are you familiar with that name? The name does sound familiar, but I, I don't know. You were going to have to tell me about him. Gladly, Gabe. I'm glad you asked. Uh, English singer and songwriter. He was the younger brother of Barry Gibb and Robin Gibb and Morris Gibb, who went on to form the Bee Gees. In the early 80s, he co-hosted the American music television series Solid Gold. He also performed in productions of The Pirates of Penzance and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Gibb would later have issues with drug addiction and depression. Uh, Gibb was ultimately fired from both uh, of those previously mentioned shows um, because of his absenteeism caused by cocaine binges. He went to rehab by late January, early February in 88. He seemed to have beaten the drug addiction, regained his health, and was ready to begin recording a new album. However, he still battled depression over his breakup with a girlfriend. During this period, uh, he slipped back into his alcoholic habits. By March of 88, uh, he celebrated his 30th birthday in London. Two days after celebrating his birthday, he entered uh, the hospital complaining of chest pains. Shortly afterwards, slumped into unconsciousness and died as a result of myocarditis, an inflammation of the heart muscle most likely caused by a virus. Years of cocaine abuse also weakened his heart. So, sad story there. But, he gave, you know, he gave us the Bee Gees and some fantastic hits. Yeah. All right, moving on to movies. Uh, a big one here. Coming to America. Directed by John Landis, based on an original story by Eddie Murphy, who also stars in the movie. Co-starring in the film are Senior Hall, James Earl Jones, Shari Headley, and John Amos. The film was nominated for two Oscars, Best Costume Design and Best Makeup. I mean, ridiculous success. Have you seen Coming to America? I have. You have. Wow, you've seen this. Okay. So it's as successful as you think it is. How much do you think this movie made? Ooh. um, What was the budget? $36 million. That's that. I guess... I, I kind of thought it was going to be a little lower because I don't remember there being a lot of well, the, remember, the, the people involved. Yeah, there's a the, yeah. I mean, Eddie yeah, Murphy is at the names. is like the peak of yeah, his career yeah. right now. Um, uh, did it make two hundred million? A little bit more than that. Okay, three somewhere between oh, three oh and three hundred. Yeah, three hundred and three fifty. Oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah. So it was that successful. It was that successful. It's a it's a hilarious movie. It's a really really good movie. Did you watch the sequel back a couple years ago? I did not see the sequel. I did, 
it was great to see everybody come back, but it definitely lacked that punch that, that the charm. first one had. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, but yeah, came out in uh, 80, 88. That's a tough act to follow, to be fair. Like, I, I don't know if, if they knew the, the lightning in a bottle they were going to have there, but like, that's, I, I understand how tough that is to. No, but not only that, though, but I think it also came, remember, like in the last, uh, you know, like last five years, we saw a bunch of old movies and old TV shows getting rebooted. And I mean, yeah. and I believe, I, I want to believe that this was a product of that and not something that, you know, uh, I know that he, they had wanted a sequel and it, it never panned out, but, but it came at a time when, when reboots were getting very popular. So, oh, so, yeah, yeah, so no, I it think was, it, it was a wave of, yeah. So I, I think I, I want to say that it had a little bit to do with that too. Like it, it was the time to green light something like that and potentially maybe it, it just, it didn't it, yeah like like you know that charm like you said that original charm was in there yeah it's tough I, I you know like i'm sure that a certain percentage of the people at least were passionate too but you got to wonder like it, it, in a similar way in like the game scene these days where everything's coming down to like how can we what's the maximum profit you know like how do we maximize profit and instead of how do we maximize the the enjoyment of this of this thing we're doing, you know, you got to wonder how much of that, that corporate greed creeps in. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. I was just, uh, so I'm a big Burt Kreischer fan and, um, his movie, the machine just came out, I think two weeks yeah. ago. And now he's been talking about the experience and he said something very interesting, which was when he got over there, cause they filmed it in Serbia. When he got over there, <laughs> he was like, he was like, okay, I, I need to, you know, need to be serious and to be this, and like at the very first night, they all went out to dinner, and he wasn't gonna drink. And you know, the producer was like, hey, "Why aren't you drinking?" And he's like, "You know, like this is my movie." He goes, "Here's the thing," and he told him, right? He said, "We can't guarantee this will be a success or a failure, but he says the one thing we can guarantee that is that if the people doing the movie are having fun, it's going to show in the film, whether it's good or bad, it will show." So you might never make another movie, he said. So have fun, you know. And maybe 1988, you know, Eddie Murphy is is having more fun making movies while maybe 2017 Eddie Murphy or 2018 Eddie Murphy is being more nostalgic about yeah. you know the success of the movies. So it'd be a That's fair. Yeah, I think I think maybe they did have fun doing it and they did love reconnecting but like like you said, like that initial charm, you can't replicate it sometimes, you know? Nah. Sometimes you got to go to Afghanistan and fight like, you know, the Russians, right? You gotta sometimes. You got to switch it up, right? Um, here's a fun one. This was actually, I don't think this went to theaters, to be honest with you. I think this was a television um, uh, movie. The Incredible Hulk Returns. Did you ever watch the 80s Hulk TV show? Uh, I've seen episodes of it. Yeah, I never watched it consistently or consecutively but i have seen episodes here and there so they made they made uh directed tv movies after the show ended so this was the first movie after the show ended so the incredible hook returns right based on the comic book character and it serves as a continuation to the series that was on for four years by the way yeah in the Incredible Hulk Returns, Dr. David Banner, which, again, if you're a, a comic book nerd, his name is Bruce Banner, not David Banner, but they changed his name for the TV show. 
A scientist who transforms into a green-skinned superhuman monster when enraged believes that he has found a potential cure for his condition, but he is delayed by the inexplicable arrival of the arrogant Viking warrior Thor. Did you know that in the 1988 made-for-TV Incredible Hulk movie, Thor comes out? I think I actually did, and that's only because of random probably facebook things that are like you won't believe the first time thor blah 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 or whatever and you're just like okay what is this and, and they tell you then he looked kind of silly he I did he did he he looked he looked more viking and less uh thor because guardian because he was not an asgardian he was not <laughs> he was honestly just a viking who traveled somehow to earth <laughs> so they took out everything comic book related to him to make it to make it more believable because you'd have to explain that Asgard exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's not get into the actual lore. Let's just make this dude a Viking douche. <laughs> so yeah, that happened That's in the pretty funny. Yep. Another huge movie that comes out, Beetlejuice. They they say it's a fantasy horror comedy. I don't know about horror, but it's definitely fantasy comedy. Directed by Tim Burton, starring I think it's the the visuals i think like the, the oh right score. but even though they were like you know like tim burton's visuals are not they're they're fantastical but yeah. they're not really like well nightmare before christmas you know horror uh aesthetic hmm. okay i buy that so this one stars alec baldwin gina davis jeffrey jones Catherine o'hara winona Ryder, and michael keaton as uh, beetlejuice the plot revolves around a recently deceased couple who as ghost uh, haunting their former home, contact Beetlejuice, an obnoxious and devious bio-exorcist from the netherworld to scare away the house's new inhabitants. Uh, have you seen Beetlejuice? I have not. That is actually very shocking and surprising, Gabe. Really? Yeah, no, that that's a big one. I, I know a lot of it, but I've never seen it. And you know they're working on a sequel, right? With Michael Keaton coming back. Yeah. Just yeah. just putting it out there. You might want to Is this even on your list of like movies that I like that I that I that I intend to watch or is it just one of those movies uh, that you've you've like decided, yeah, you know. I mean, I I wouldn't be opposed to watching it, but I think there's stuff above it on the list, you know what I'm saying? Like I I haven't added it. I'm just cognizant of it. But it's not you know, not officially really on the it. list, right? Not officially, no. Interesting. Look, it's a fun movie. And and Michael it's a classic. Yeah, and Michael Keaton really like outdoes himself in this in this role. Yeah, no, I've heard that. Um Beetlejuice was a critical and commercial success, grossing seventy four million on a fifteen million dollar budget, and it won the Academy Award for Best Makeup. Okay. In the nineties there was an animated TV show also that I remember I used to watch. So um uh but yeah, the the sequel is supposedly coming out supposedly coming out next year. Just you know. Because right now, Michael Keaton is hot again, so you got to grab yeah. him. You know, you got to grab him while they're hot. Uh, another another uh, big one that comes out for 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 most people, but surprising, really interesting details in this film. Have you seen the movie Twins? Yes. Okay, that you've seen. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Gabe, you are, uh, you are an enigma. <laughs> I'm all over the place. <laughs> you can't guess. <laughs> Although this this does follow the I've seen most Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. <laughs> yeah, I have seen a lot of Schwarzenegger's movies. I am a fan. So, buddy comedy, uh, produced and directed by Ivan Reitman, 
you will remember Ivan Reitman because he directed Meatballs, Stripes, Ghostbusters 1 and 2. He's going to go on to direct Kindergarten Cop. The film is about an unlikely fraternal twin brothers, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, who were separated at birth. I mean, that alone, right? Is That's, that's just funny right there. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen the movie, you should watch it. It's, it's, it's a really fun movie. And it's Arnold in his first comedic role. Up until this point, he had only done action films. Which very serious action films. Never funny. Very, well, very serious. <laughs> yes, you're right. Actually, no, you're absolutely right. Very. These were serious action films. <laughs> I mean, seriously intentioned. Yes. <laughs> but uh, having said that this was his first comedy, the studio viewed this as a significant risk because they did not know if they could profit off of Arnold in something other than action, right? Is Arnold funny was the question. Exactly. So Schwarzenegger voluntarily took no salary in exchange for a 40% share of the film's profits. Co-star Danny DeVito and director Ivan Reitman made similar deals. Oh, damn. When the film was a major financial success, how much do you think this movie made? Now, I'm uh, going to tell you right now, not coming to America money. Right, right, right. But I, I way underguessed that one. So, like, like, what, like $180 million? About 220 Okay. 40% of 220 Gabe. Yeah, no, he did, <laughs> he, he did pretty well for himself, I'm going to say. He has been quoted in saying that was the smartest business decision I've ever made. <laughs> like, what would they have paid him for his salary? You think? Like, and that's was, and the, the, remember, it's the eighties, dude. So he he, yeah. he wouldn't have even been paid ten million probably for a salary back then. Yeah. Because remember, like, I think the highest paid actor in the nineties was like twenty million, and it was like Bruce Willis or Tom Cruise. So in the eighties, he was probably making five to ten. Per movie, maybe, maybe, you know. So this thing says, looking it up real quick, it said he got twenty percent of the profits. Oh, that's interesting. Cause and made thirty-five million dollars. That still wouldn't add up, though. Twenty percent of. But it's of the profits. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So, like, that's the way that, like, so sometimes. No, hang on, though. Don't... I was gonna say, but also, I guess because it says. Of the profits, does that mean the like he's still getting royalties now from those profits? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know how. Anyway, that but yeah, but I he. Guess it depends on the contract. But yeah, but I'm gonna say that most leading actors at that level were probably making five to ten million, if even that, honestly, in the '80s, because right, was, right, no, no, that's '80s money. Yeah, it's such ridiculous. I'm telling. I remember, like, I think they said like for Die Hard three, like. You know, uh, Bruce Willis was getting like maybe 20, and that was like mid 90s. So Arnold Schwarzenegger wrote about the movie, blah, 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 in some book. The The main issue is the fact that it was an offbeat movie three, featuring three expensive guys. The solution the three came up with was not to take any salary. Instead, they struck a deal that guaranteed, I think, collectively 37.5% of all of the income. Oh, okay, Schwarzenegger so... ended with 20, while DeVito and Reitman divided the remaining 17.5 among themselves. I see. So forty that total for five was real, 
not subject to all the watering down and bullshit tricks that movie accounting is famous for, Schwarzenegger wrote. We divvied up the 37.5% among ourselves proportionally based on what each of us had earned in the previous movie. Because I'd been paid a lot for The Running Man, I ended up with the biggest slice, almost 20%. It made the math simple. So yeah, a lot of times you have to be careful because movies will do stuff like they'll hide the profits by like paying their other subsidiaries and like owing themselves money so that there's never any profits officially on the books. So like the 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 wording and language so that's important too like that's why one of the reasons i was curious when it said profits i was like hmm and you know you know what's funny this is the reason why uh super troopers had such a late sequel because they had um the the super trooper writers and the you know the broken lizard crew they felt that they were owed because of how much money the movie made you know in dvd and video sales right um but the uh, production company didn't agree with him to the point where they had to sue them to have lawyers come in and check the numbers. And they were owed like $10 million. Jeez. And, and uh, yeah, and it took a long time to settle that to then, like they had the script and they had the sequel ready like for like 10 years. And yeah. they just, they were like, well, we can't, we can't film the new one until this is settled. So eventually they had to sue them and have, and have like an audit of their books. And, the, and they, yeah, and they 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 claimed that they were owed about ten million in DVD sales because of how well the movie did outside of the theater. Right. Like the production company was claiming it had been a flop. But yeah, no, that's an insane. And then like you know, after that, like he would go from action to comedy like loosely, right? Because then they did Junior together, right? He did Last yep. Action Hero. He, I mean, he did Eraser. He did a bunch of other stuff, but yeah, he, he started showing off more comedic chops. And even in the action films, he could, you know, play lighthearted and be okay with like, you know. Well, I mean, the last action hero is. I like, mean, that's a, it's yeah. an action movie, but he it's tongue in cheek the yeah. entire thing. Yeah. Okay, moving on to a, a movie that's very near and dear to all Latinos, uh, Stand and Deliver. I've mentioned this movie before. This yeah. is directed by directed and written by uh, Menendez. That's just the name. Based on a true story of a high school mathematics teacher, Jaime Escalante, uh, who successfully inspired his dropout prone his dropout prone student to learn calculus, convinced that his students had, have potential, he adopts an unconventional teaching method to help gang members and no hopers pass the rigorous advanced placement exam in calculus. For portraying Escalante's, Edward James Olmos was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor. It stars uh, Edward James Olmos, Lou Diamond Phillips, Rosanna De Soto, Andy Garcia. But yeah, it was a real story about a teacher in uh, East L.A. who um, basically says, you guys can do better. Uh, and, you know, um, this is how we're going to do it. I, this, is, this is, again, it's just a movie I really, I've really liked watching since I was a kid. Um, I'm going to assume you haven't watched this film. <laughs> I have not. Okay. Just a, it's, a, it's just an assumption. Next up, we have The Naked Gun, or the full title, The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, directed by David Zucker, who also directed Airplane. The film stars Leslie Lee Nielsen as the bumbling police lieutenant Frank Drebin, Priscilla Presley, Ricardo Montalban, George Kennedy, and O.J. Simpson in a supporting role. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just uh... it's got a, I think that guy's got a bright future. Oh, boy. Film is based on the character portrayed by Nielsen in the television series uh, Police Squad. 
the Naked Gun was a critical and commercial success, which led to two sequels, Naked Gun 2 and a half, The Smell of Fear, and Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult. <laughs> so, $12 million budget, it made $150 million. I always thought The Naked Gun was a fun movie, and I always thought it was good, but 150 is actually really, really good. Yeah, they did well. And you've seen this one? I believe so. So I don't know which Naked Gun. I've definitely seen parts. It's one of those ones that I've seen on TV, and I've never sat there and like put on the movie, so like I can't be 100% sure, but I've seen Naked Gun stuff. So You know, like I've seen some sort of variation of a there Naked a Gun. gun. There was a gun, clothed. and it was not clothed. I don't know if it was the smell or the insult, but it was I one no of clue. them. But I've seen. I've seen. So this one, this one's interesting because we're going to talk about two movies that have very similar, th- well, theme story. So the first one is Big. Have you seen Big? Uh, I actually think I have. Yeah. Oh, okay. So directed by Penny Marshall and stars Tom uh, Hanks as Josh Baskins, a pre-adolescent boy whose wish to be big transforms him physically into an adult. The most, the film also stars Elizabeth Perkins, David Moscow, John Hurt, and Robert Loggia. Penny Marshall is known as a as an actress, director, and producer. She was Laverne from Laverne and Shirley. Oh, okay. She directed Jumping Jack Flash. I don't know if you saw that one. That one was with Whoopi Goldberg. Um, and then directed Big, which became the first film directed by a woman to gross more than one hundred million in the box office. Wow. Yep. Big was met with wide critical acclaim particularly for Tom Hanks' performance. It uh, grossed $151 million against $18 million budget. Good. And basically created Tom Hanks' career. Uh, you know, after this, he was a box office draw, you know. Uh, he received an Academy Award nomination, nomination for Best Actor and Best Original Screenplay. Here are a couple people that were considered for the role. Kevin Costner... <laughs> Steve Gutenberg, Warren Beatty, which, by the way, that would have been interesting, Dennis Quaid, and Matthew Modine, Joker from, uh, from Full Metal Jacket. Damn. <laughs> they were all offered the role, all of whom turned it down, by the way. Um, all right. John Travolta wanted to play uh, Josh, but the studio wasn't interested in casting him. <laughs> Sean Penn was considered for the role. But he was too young. Gary Busey auditioned for the role, but they didn't but he think was he was too Gary Busey. But he was, yeah, he was too Gary Busey. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> this one is interesting. Andy Garcia read for Josh, but one of the studio executives didn't want to spend eighteen million for a kid to grow up to be Puerto Rican. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you grow up to be Puerto Rican? <laughs> it's it's the worst. Especially since he's Cuban. <laughs> I know, right? He's um, not even American, you know what I'm saying? Not Puerto Rican. People are the worst, dude. Uh, Robert De Niro was cast, uh, but he later dropped out due to scheduling conflicts and was replaced by Tom Hanks. This this movie would have been so much different had someone else So many in. ways. Um, now, I say that there was an interesting... Uh, two interesting movies that came out, right? The other one was, have you heard of a movie called Vice Versa? I don't think I have. Okay. So this movie starred Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage. 
And it is a movie that when I say what it is, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, this was a body swap movie where okay. two people swap movies. Now, here's the here's the ridiculously interesting part. Vice Versa was a novel written in 1880. Yeah, this 1988 movie of body swapping was the fourth time this book had been turned into a movie. It was a movie in 1916, 1937, and 1948. Okay. But this is the literally the same thing as like Freaky Friday, a little bit of big there, like, you know, swapping bodies, like 13 going on 30. All those things based on a story from 1882. Isn't that insane? That is wild. Insane, dude. Um, so many remakes. So many remakes. Uh, we have our Police Academy 5, you know, Assignment Miami Beach. Staple. Staple. Assignment Miami Beach. The plot involves the officers attending a police convention in Florida to honor the commandant when he inadvertently switches his sports bag with that of a group of jewel thieves that thieves try to get it back. Here's the thing. Laugh as much as you want. This movie still made $50 million on a $14 million budget. (laughs) Number five is still being profitable for them. They can't be stopped. They cannot, dude. That's insane. Um, oh, here's a good one. Did you ever hear a movie called Killer Clowns from Outer Space? I have not. Okay. Science fiction horror written, directed, and produced by the Chiodo Brothers. Now, the Chiodo Brothers are an interesting group of people. They, this is the, this is the first movie and the only movie they ever, uh, they ever did, right? They're a a trio, three siblings, special effects artists, specializing in clay modeling, creature creation, stop motion, and animatronics. Known for killer clowns from outer space, they also created the puppets for Critters. Uh, They also did work for Ernest Scared Stupid and for Team America World Police, by the way. They they created the clay mission sequence in uh, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And the stop-motion elements in the North Pole scenes from Elf. Yeah. Um, but this was a this movie was about evil extraterrestrials who resemble clowns who come to Earth to invade a small town in order to capture, kill, and harvest the human inhabitants to use a substance by drinking their blood. Okay. Yeah. I can see it. R- ridiculous, funny, horror. $1.8 million budget, $43 million. Yeah. I mean, you can't complain about that. Horror movies make money, dude. We keep saying that, and we're not lying. Here's another quick one. Have you ever heard of Biloxi Blues? Yes. Okay. Directed by Mike Nichols, who also did The Graduate, Working Girl, and The Birdcage. Written by Neil Simon, and starring Matthew Broderick and Christopher Walken. During World War II, Jewish teenager Eugene Jerome of Brooklyn is drafted into the United States Army. Jerome sets three goals, loses virginity, survive the war, and become a writer. He is sent to basic training in Biloxi, Were Mississippi. Were those in priority? List of priority? I think in that order, yes. I think if you <laughs> are going to go to war, you should probably lose your virginity first. And yeah, if you, no, no. It makes sense. If you survive just, the just war, you should probably write about it. <laughs> Speaking from personal experience. <laughs> um. So he goes to basic, he goes to basic training in Biloxi, Mississippi. He keeps a journal, 
Um, everyone's trained by Sergeant Tommy, who is played by Christopher Walken, a wounded veteran with a steel plate in his head. Tommy imposes arbitrary rules and meets out harsh punishments. Imagine that, a drill instructor who uh, dishes out harsh punishments. I don't believe it. Don't believe it either. I remember watching this movie. It's a cute coming-of-age, like, clean movie about uh, boot camp. The only weird thing I remember was there was a scene where two recruits get caught in a bathroom having sex, uh, two guys, and it's an issue that leads into, like, the third part of the film where, like, there's a learning lesson and stuff like that. So I do remember that from it. Not allowed. It isn't, turns out. Um, and then lastly, we'll mention a movie called Colors. Have you heard of or have seen Colors? I think I have heard of it. Police procedural action film starring Sean Penn and Robert Duvall, directed by Dennis Hopper, by the way. He hadn't, okay. he hadn't directed anything since Easy Rider. The film takes place in gang-ridden neighborhoods of Los Angeles in the late 80s. South Central, Echo Park, Westlake, and Eastlos. The film centers on Bob Hodges, Duval, an experienced Los Angeles Police Department crash officer and his rookie partner, uh, Danny McGavin, who try to stop the gang violence between the Bloods and the Crips and Hispanic street gangs. It is a pretty good movie. It really is. Uh, Sean Penn is great. Robert Duval is great. You know, a lot of uh, representation of L.A. in the 80s. All right, moving on to first appearances. We have David Duchovny in the movie Working Girl, which we don't talk about. <laughs> Neil, uh, no. Neil Patrick Harris, Clara's Heart. Mila Jovovic, Two Moon Junction. Obviously, she goes on to um, The Fifth Element and the... Uh, Resident Evil. Resident Evil, like six, seven movies, right? All of them. All of them. <laughs> How many movies are there? There are many. Uh, Jane Lynch in Vice Versa. Look at oh. that. And Clive Owen in Vroom. Literally V-R-O-O-M. Vroom. Okay. Hope it's about cars. You would hope so, right? You would definitely hope so. Uh, actually, there's, there's a few honorable mention movies that just i want to call out like scrooge came out ernest saves christmas came out halloween 4 came out nightmare on elm street 4 came out rain man <laughs> monkey shines cocktail big top peewee she's having a baby action jackson there was a few movies that i might have seen might have not not enough to talk about action jackson though there is one thing about it that i do want to that i do want to mention now that we're here so the creation of Action Jackson came about when Carl Weathers was doing Predator and talking to Joel Silver, Silver who loved black exploitation movies. Um, he said, well, you know, why don't you put something together? During that time of shooting down in Puerto Vallarta, I created this story and came up with this guy, or at least this title, Action Jackson. Joel found the writer, wrote the screenplay, and that was it. We got it made. <laughs> <laughs> all right you get a guy and he says i got a movie for you black exploitation his name's action jackson sold take my money now <laughs> let's go <laughs> but yeah it was um it was about a burnt out like cop and uh his adventures but yeah no i just wanted to mention action jackson all right 
that is it. Thank you for listening. Portal, we missed you, man. But we will catch you on the Ensemble episode that you pitched. There we go. <laughs> and uh, I want to put a heads up that potentially 1989 is going to be a fourth epi- uh, four episode uh, year. There's a ton of movies. Way too many to cover in three. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>